You're listening to the Rogers Waterfowl Podcast. This is A.A. Ron Jones. Chandler Smith here. Let's talk some waterfowl. Scott, are you hunting honkers right now? Big, big honkers. I think that's what you, what you got up where you're from. Yeah, see, uh, up here in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota is kind of the home of the resident goose. We have about 150,000 breeding pairs on an average year. So the resident goose, also known as the giant goose, uh, is primarily what we hunt up here. Uh, here in Rochester, where we're located is uh, kind of the rebirth of the ground zero of where they rediscovered them back in 1962. So primarily most of the geese we're hunting here uh, are the bigger goose, you know, the 10, 10 and a half, 11 pound goose. Um, they haven't quite got down here yet, uh, but they should be soon with this weather coming up. Uh, of course, we got a lot of locals uh, and stuff like that, but the migrators uh, coming out of Manitoba, um probably here start to really see them good starting here probably the end of the week uh early next week and then continuing on for there so yeah it's it's big goose country up here yeah yeah i've seen some of i've seen some of the videos from uh from different things um just it's kind of funny i i'm not the best goose call in the world i'm 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 all right i'm pretty decent but i've learned probably everything from the bad grammar dvd and that that thing oh sure that thing was an, like one of the best put together instructional DVDs I've ever, ever watched. Cause I've watched a few when I first started waterfowl hunting years and years ago. I mean, this was, I probably started eight, 10 years ago and, uh, sure. That bad grammar uh, DVD was, an, it was enjoyable to watch and it was great, uh, information. Uh, and for you guys who haven't yeah. listened, for the listeners who haven't, haven't watched that, um, I mean, it goes through, uh, from the very very basics of holding the call, and then to the different calls and why he did them, and and then recordings of the geese doing them, and all sorts of stuff, and how you use them in the field. I mean, it was a it was a really awesome DVD to watch. How yeah, do, can you believe it's already ten years old? Yeah, uh, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I tell you what, we still uh, we still a lot of people uh, still purchase them because of the reasons. Uh, um, you know, you went into just the in-depth and uh, relating to the bird first philosophy pretty much with everything that we do in that DVD is, uh, you know, you get to watch and listen to the goose doing the sound so you can understand, uh, you know, the sequence, the tone of it, and also, uh, you know, kind of their body language so you can get a feeling and uh, put that inflection into your calling uh, when you're learning as well. So, yeah, it was it was done a while ago, but it uh, I guess it's still holding up today as uh, yeah. as people are uh, still enjoying it. Yeah, I mean that, that's got to mean something. I mean, being and, and goose calling, I feel like you need that inflection and you need that emotion, and you need to understand mm-hmm. what you're why you're calling. And I think that that video really did that because a lot of guys could go out there um, and not know exactly why they're making these notes or, or why the birds aren't are swinging, but they're not coming back around and they're just missing a couple key points and a couple tricks that are, you know, in a uh, different style of calling that you, you talk about in different scenarios um, that that can bring birds back in as far as, you know, the, the comeback and, and that all that inflection. And then the, oh, I can't remember all the names of them, but I can, I can tell, I can visually see the notes and what you guys are talking about, but there's so many different, styles of uh, different calls that you're talking about that do different things and uh sure it's a awesome video to watch 
and and yeah, like you said, hey, you could still get that on DVD. I think people still have DVD players. <laughs> <laughs> a few of them, a yeah. few of them. Yeah, they're still out there. They're still out there. Absolutely. And we also have that in Academy now uh, for the mobile version. But yeah, that uh, that inflection that you're uh, pointing out, you know, it's one thing to be able to make the sound. It's another thing to be able to put emotion or inflection into that sound because that's uh, that's what's a, that's what it's going to take out hunting. You know, it's uh, not all about sounding exactly like the goose. It's uh, it's kind of like sounding like a goose with bad grammar. You know, mm-hmm. with a lot of emotion, a lot of uh, drawn out notes. Uh, you know, kind of going above and beyond the standard note that a goose does is what's going to call geese. Uh, you know, day in and day out. So uh, that body language that you can witness in there that kind of helps you understand the. Uh, the feeling that the goose is putting into it. And then when you put into a goose call, obviously it's louder and carries more. You can drag it out a little bit more and whatnot. So, um, yeah, that was probably one of the key, key points in it and why it's, uh, been successful for so long is because it's that, it's that learning from that bird, that interaction, being able to see that is, uh, is very important. Yeah. Early on in my, uh, in the goose calling and the goose hunting, I, I don't think my, my sound was the best, but I was always, pretty emotional and i was think i think i had a lot of success for that i mean my my comeback call i felt like was like the winner as far as getting sure. them really to turn back and and make it and you know and finish up and i it was horrible it was like a, it was like a cluck and a long honk and it was but i put a lot of emotion into it and i felt like it worked mm-hmm. all the time and that was my favorite thing i was excited for them to be you know kind of banking over to the right and you just you know at that certain point you kind of know you're at they're at that that in between they're paying attention or they're, they're thinking about going somewhere else and you hit that and it, you just get some locked up and they're, they're finally committed. But I don't think I sounded great at all, but I, I put a lot of emotion, a lot of stress into that call. And I, I had a lot of success with it, even though it didn't sound that Absolutely. great. Absolutely. And sometimes the, the sounds that don't sound exactly like a goose are probably the ones that work the best most of the time. You know, it's uh it's just an exaggerated, uh, plead and, uh, and whatnot that, uh, that can turn a, you know, a not so good day into a pretty good day. So absolutely. And you mentioned a little bit and I kind of saw it on, on, on Facebook, but this Academy that you have going, you explain a little bit about that. Cause I think that's pretty neat. Yeah. So basically, you know, like we said, is the DVD is 10 years old now. And uh, I think you mentioned it that, uh, you know, I'm not sure that people have DVD players anymore, you know, uh, it's kind of an archive or a, a dinosaur of the times a little bit. Um, I don't think they put disc drives in laptops anymore. So everything's mobile, uh, you know, streamed and whatnot. So basically we took that bad grammar concept and we put it onto an academy uh, where you can uh, basically have the same experience, but just on your mobile device, whether it's a phone or a tablet, because, you know, today's... Uh, Today's uh, lifestyles are very, very busy on the run. Uh, finding time to practice and sit down can be very, very tough. So this way, <clears throat> you don't have to have a phone. I mean, uh, a TV with a DVD player in the house with nobody around to practice. You know, that can be a that can be a hard place to find something with all those three things going. So this allows people to you know go out in their garage. Uh, you know, maybe it'll be on their lunch break, sitting in their car. Uh, out on a graveled road somewhere scouting at night, uh, they can have this academy, you know, it's on their phone or on their laptop, and uh, it goes through all the same teachings and whatnot. Uh, just make it practicing on your time and wherever that place may be, you know, easier, I think, is the whole concept of it. Yeah, that makes it, sense. 
And one thing we we, get, we just got jumped right in, but we forgot to to tell the listeners who we're talking to. This is Scott from uh, Molt Gear. And how do you say your last name? Is it Thrynan or Trinan? Trinan. It, uh, the H is silent. Gotcha. Yep. Um, yes. And you are the owner of uh, Molt Gear, or that is correct. Yes. Gotcha. Yep. So explain a little bit about how Molt Gear started. Um, it started in 2006, uh, and it kind of started off the concept of bad grammar. Uh, the CD, the CD we released in 2006, and then the DVD released in 2008. And basically, uh, you know, back then I was big into contest calling. Uh, the live goose was kind of around and whatnot. Uh, I guess it still is today, but just starting up. And so uh, I had this idea of bringing the recordings of the goose to hunters uh you know here in rochester having the historic lake here in town and the geese around all the time um i was around geese a lot and i thought that there was a lot of stuff that geese do and geese say and the emotion that they put into it that isn't being released out onto the uh, consumer market at that time so basically i went around and uh got about 30 hours of live recordings of geese uh, doing the different notes that I wanted to talk about on a goose call. Uh, most of them or some of them were new notes uh, and whatnot to the goose calling and basically use those recordings so people could listen to each specific note that that goose was doing, talk about the emotion and the body language in it, and then talk about also when to use it hunting out in the field. You know, it's one thing to be able to, you know, make a note on a goose call. It's another thing to know, you know, a little bit about when to use it out while you're hunting as well. So that's basically how Molt Gear started was the concept of the bad grammar CD and uh, the live recordings, just being around geese, the bird first philosophy. And we started with a CD back in uh, July of 2006 and that had a bunch of success. So we released uh, bad grammar, the DVD in February of 2008 and then we got into our instructional-based hunting DVDs, the Goose Society, and, uh, you know, then eventually called, and it just kind of took off from there. But that's, uh, that's how it started 12 years ago. Yep, all those are great videos. Um, uh, even the, the Duck Society is a really, a really f- is a favorite of mine. Um, I, like the, yeah. I like some of the, uh, the points you made on the Duck Society about, you know, our decoys and how they're just stagnant and their statues and 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 you got videos of above live birds, you know, just being active, and it just it makes me want want to have all motion decoys in the spread because that's what you know a realistic spread looks like a lot of times on these dabbling ducks. Sure, absolutely, yeah. A duck is a, a very fidgety animal. Uh, they are constantly moving, constantly uh, just looking for the next opportunity. You know, you'll very rarely that you'll just see a duck, you know, sleeping or resting or not moving. You know, they are, they're very, very active, whether they're on water or on land. So yeah, in the duck society, that was uh, definitely an interesting uh, perspective to get above them and videotape down on, you know, probably about 30, 40 mallards. And just to see how much water and how much movement, uh, you know, 30 to 40 mallards can create is incredible. And then, you know, a lot of duck hunters will go out with, you know, a dozen or two dozen decoys. And, uh, um, you know, I'm guilty of it too. You just hope for, uh, hope that there's about 10, not very smart ones. You mm-hmm. know, so yeah. it's, it's just tough to really tough to mimic a live duck on water, you know, and that's why the 
spinners have been so successful because it kind of takes their mind off of what's actually happening on the water and it uh, just has that visual. But yeah, that was a fun DVD to make. So when did you guys start making uh, duck and goose calls? Um, we, yep. We started making calls in 2012, uh, the end of 2012. And then I think we released them in 2013 uh, was the first one with our EX3 uh, series. Uh, and then about a year and a half, two years later, we released the uh, reflex and then a couple, huh, it's about almost three years now is the rush. So, um, yeah, we just got into calls. Um, we thought that was kind of the next Avenue or, uh, the next thing after the DVDs was to release, uh, you know, some goose and duck calls for people. And so we've been building those for about, you know, five years now. And, uh, um, it's a daily process, but it's going pretty good. Yeah, we we do really well with your with your goose calls and duck calls in, in the store and online. I know we got an orders being built right now, um, but yeah, they're one of our one of our top goose calls. Um, it's just the the quality and the uh, love the look of them too. The, the I mean, they are just a sharp looking call, no yeah. doubt. The bright colors and just, I mean, they just the the fill colors and everything. The color combos you guys have are outstanding. If it, for our listeners out there, can you go through the different series like the EX3, the the Reflex, and the MG, and just kind of talk about what each series has, what it's all about, and maybe the differences between them? So if someone is sitting down and they're looking at your website or they're looking at our website and they're just going to to kind of know what they're looking at. Sure. You know, we released uh, the EX3 X series uh, first. You know, it is built around what we primarily hunt around here and. You know, much of the Midwest uh, is a giant Canada goose. You know, that goose call was designed to sound like a true giant. It's very, very full, uh, very got a very powerful tone to it, but it also has a great low-end mellow tone with a lot of range in it. Um, the EX3 X-Series is very, very efficient goose call. And what I mean by that is there's no real waste of the air. Uh, during our design process and now our machining process of those, uh, it goes through a four-step machining process where a lot of game calls are going to be a two-step. Um, a lot of game calls will have a five-eighths inch drilled hole through them, the front and back, and then, you know, just kind of the length and the amount of material determines the sound, where ours on the barrel, it's going to open up very, very big, and that's going to allow the user, when he puts the air into the call, to get to the reed efficiently. And you would think it'd be the other way around, but the tighter that's trapped down, uh, it's going to be a little bit tougher, uh, going to take a little bit more air where if that barrel is opened up, it's almost like it's bottling up the air in there and you have consistent uh, pressure on that reed. Uh, so it allows it to re react very, very easily. Um, it allows the user to get the air ver there very, very efficiently. Now on the back end of the call, which is the insert, we have a compression chamber on it. So what that's going to do is it actually takes the air after it goes through the gut system and, you know, the reed buzzes and it creates a sound is that it actually traps the air down and rolls the sound over for you. So it's almost like there's built in back pressure in the call. Uh, all these things don't take away from the performance of the call. It's still, you know, as loud as you want it to be, the range is all there. It's just that the call is working more for you. And I think that's what guys have liked over the years is that, uh, you know, you can blow the call, you know, basically one-handed or if you're, you know, using your flag or whatever, the call is doing a lot of the work for you, uh, whereas it vice versa, maybe with a, with a different brand. Um, 
So that's our EX3 X-Series, set up to sound like a big goose, very, very efficient, very, very user-friendly. A couple years after that, we came out with the EX Reflex. Now, the Reflex compared to the X-Series is going to be a half an inch shorter. It's going to be a quarter inch shorter on the barrel and a quarter inch shorter on the insert. And the Reflex was designed to sound more like an interior goose somewhere between your five, six to about nine pound geese. Um, it's still very, very powerful, uh, but it has a little bit more of a sharper tone to it. Um, it still has the same board out barrel, still compression chambered insert, but the overall length of it really, really uh, determines you know, how a goose call um, operates. Because it is a little bit shorter, it's gonna be a little bit more advanced. Um, it's gonna take a little bit more uh, being technically correct on your end as far as the air pressure and also your hands because one thing with when you shorten up a goose call, the air gets into the goose call and it gets out of the goose call faster. So what that means is, is that you have to put the air in a little bit more perfectly and use your hands a little bit more perfectly at the end to get it right. Now, is it a drastic difference from the X-Series? No, but you will notice a difference. And that's why you know, back in the day when flute calls were so popular is because, you know, they were longer and the call basically did everything for you. You just had to add in some cold air with a short read, you know, it's hot air. So you got to, you know, control the call a little bit more. So that was our EX reflex. Uh, and then a couple years after that, a couple years ago, now we came out with the MG rush goose call. And this is kind of a hybrid of the two. We took a little bit of parts off the X series and a little bit parts off the reflex and made the MG rush. So with this goose call, you're getting a very, very short barrel. So you're going to get a reaction time. It's going to be fast to react, but the insert is a little bit longer, more bored out still has the compression chamber. So it's going to keep a bigger goose tone to it so a lot of guys are liking that because it has a big powerful full tone but it runs really really fast which is kind of a rare combination with goose calls it's it's always a give and take uh you know you gotta you gotta take here to give there give there to take there and uh so this one you know we we have a very short barrel so it's going to be fast reacting but it's going to keep that bigger goose tone to it. So a lot of guys that like the X series, but they wanted a little bit faster call are going to the rush. And then a lot of guys that are maybe a little more advanced that, you know, want a ton of range like the, like the reflex. And then a lot of guys uh, just day in and day out, a smooth, easy running call with a big goose tone, like the X series. So that's kind of our difference in the three. Yeah. Yeah. And your calls are very, um, at our store, we, we got a huge display of calls and the, when they pick up your goose calls, they're very, with that compression chamber and, and the barrel, how you designed that, they're very friendly to run for guys, even if they're, they're all different ranges. If they're starting out, that's one of the easier calls for me to get them to start hearing the right tone, to make some of the notes, um, when they're starting out because they're, they're trying to figure out their air, um, and, but then even intermediate to the advanced, I mean, both, I mean, both those guys really, really gravitate towards the, the molt gear when you put it on top of the glass counter because of, because of that compression chamber and all, and, you know, it just a smooth running call. Um, yeah, it's great, great call. Very, very easy. I wouldn't say it's not, you know, easy to blow sometimes. I mean, goose call is, it's definitely different from a lot of the game calls. Um, but this is very smooth running call, and it's very easy to start picking it up and easy to teach somebody on one of these calls. I've definitely noticed that. You know, sometimes there's some high-end calls, and they're and they're more made for the advanced caller. 
So they almost kind of the intermediate and then and the novice almost kind of don't, you know, understand or get that call when they pick it up on the glass counter and, and they, and they, they can't make it, you know, sound anywhere. Right. It kind of hurts them, but your calls kind of, they seem to fit about everybody. I've seen really, really talented guys make this goose call, do a lot of really cool stuff, a lot of really goosey stuff. And then the intermediate guys are really liking it. And the novice are, are really able to start hearing a honk, you know, getting, getting it figured out. And which is the best for a beginner, because if you, if you go out and buy a goose call just blindly kind of don't, don't ever mess with it. And you just go buy an expensive one, you know, it might not be anything it might right for you at all. And you're going to hang it up, put it up, put it away and not try it again. But these these molt gears are, are are not like that. I mean, a lot of people really really enjoy them, and they're I think they're they're easy to figure out as far as if you're a novice. Well, that's a yeah, that's exactly right. If someone can pick up a call, and right out of the gate they find that they sound pretty decent with it, they're more apt to continue to work with it because they're like, okay, hey, I sound pretty good. You know what? I'm going to keep blowing on this. <laughs> I'm and getting then, somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. And then, of course, then they're just going to become a better caller. And then, uh, you know, that leads to, well, let me let me know, you know, what do these sounds mean? What When do I make this sound and why? And then, you know, there's the Bad Grammar Academy. And then it just, it's, it's a continual learning process. And, you know, I'm nowhere near a, as good at goose calling as Chandler is even. But, I mean, it's a constant learning process. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's the big thing about them is, uh, you know, we wanted to make a goose call that was efficient, user-friendly, but be able to do everything a goose caller wants out of a call as well. So, you know, it goes through that extra machining and, uh, uh, you know, we also, like you said earlier, we want them to make, want them to make, uh, them look good, you know, uh, you know, it's something on your lanyard and, uh, um, you know, so the the design, the outside design, the look of it, that's very important too. So just top to bottom, we try to put a lot of uh, time and uh, effort into them. And, uh, you know, all of them are hand polished um, by hand here in the shop. You know, a lot of guys will use a flame polishing. Um, we use a, a hand polishing. Um, we engrave them right here. We hand paint them right here and obviously hand tune them right here. So there's a lot of, uh, hands-on that goes into each one that's sent out the door, but, uh, it's, uh, it's something we enjoy every day. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you kind of, these are acrylic calls that we're talking about right here. And you kind of said something about short read, uh, versus the old kind of the flute. Can you explain that just for anybody listening who, who didn't really get when we said short read, um, because it's just two different style of goose calls and everything's kind sure. of out of the short read side. Sure. So if, if you run over to your grandpa's or your dad's or something and dig in their old hunting closet and find their calls, you're probably going to find a resident cavity call or a flute call. And most guys will have a flute call. And, uh, you know, one of the big ones back in the day was, uh, um, you know, the big river flute call, uh, Loman flutes, the guide's best, anything like that. These are longer goose calls. And when I mean longer, they're probably longer than five, uh, and a half or six inches long, which is somewhere around the standard, uh, short read goose call, you know, a flute call is going to be, you know, anywhere from eight, nine, ten plus inches long. And, uh, um, a flute call is something that you would use cold air into, uh, meaning if you just blow air into a, a, a flute call that was cold, you know, your cheeks expand, your stomach expands, that's cold air, and you just kind of say the word to it, to it, it, um, that would be a flute call. Nowadays, a lot of guys are running 
short read goose calls. And these are the goose calls that are going to be anywhere from, you know, three and a half, four, five inches long. And you use hot air into these. And that's a drastic difference from the cold air. If it's a hot day outside and you want to cool your wrist off, you blow cold air onto it. That's how you perform a flute call. With a short read goose call, if you were to take your sunglasses or glasses off and you want to clean them, you're going to fog them up and you have to fog them up with hot air. So it's hot air versus cold air that you run into short read goose calls. So pretty much what determines, uh, you know, the look of them is obviously the overall length. Short reads are going to be shorter. Flutes are going to be longer. And then obviously the cold versus, versus hot air. So a lot of the goose calls now um, that are out there and are going to be probably the most effective day in and day out are going to be the short read versions. You can go a lot faster with them. There's a lot more range with them. Um a little bit more power and speed, obviously. So, uh, short read goose calls are the are the ones we make. Mm-hmm. Now, we're talking about flutes here. I have tried to blow a flute. I am no good at it. Chandler, are you? <laughs> no, I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> but I started on a short read, and and that's all I've ever known. So, sure, sure, sure. I still have my first flute down in the basement. It was a Loman four and one. Uh, conversion choke flute uh they uh blowing the flute calls different uh there's definitely probably a time and place for them they have a very unique sound a uh, very different sound but uh um of course now i just use the short read day in and day out uh they're uh they're what's going to work the best yeah so so yeah. scott what's uh what's the number one call you run to whenever you're on your lanyard whenever you're out there and what's the color you know, uh, both of those are good questions. I carry a reflex uh, with me every single day, and then I carry um, either a Rush or an X-Series on the other side. But the one that I personally uh, run to out of ours every single day is primarily the our EX reflex. And the reason for that is I naturally blow uh, very, very heavy air into a call. Um, so I can get... Uh, that lack, you know, that reflex is a little bit shorter than our X-Series or our Rush is. So it has more of an interior sound, but as heavy as the air that I run, I can still get that big, deep, powerful sound out of it. It's tuned up a little bit heavier for me, um, and I love the range. Uh, I want the air to get in there and out of it quicker um, so I can control that with my hands more uh, in my inflection um, that I'm putting into it. So I run an EX reflex pretty much every single day, no matter where I'm hunting. And my personal favorite is, uh, is the white. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I didn't know this until we started making goose calls, but each acrylic rod that is made, you know, they, they pour pigment into it and it makes the color on it. Okay. So a lot of our, you know, our black, our, orange or green you know they got swirls in it or whatever uh the white is like an opec white so it's snow white it's solid and it's the heaviest acrylic they pretty much have you know we've weighed uh stuff on a scale before and the white that we use is heavier than all the other acrylic colors that we use and because we hand polish them we don't you know change the molecular structure of the acrylic by flaming them and basically melting them so you can squish them. All ours are hand polished. So the call stays, you know, in its same, 
combination that it came from, you know, when they, when they cast molded it. Um, so a white call naturally, and even when I'm tuning them, you can definitely tell the difference is going to run a little bit deeper and be a little bit more powerful and take a hair more, uh, air than like, let's say a black ghost or a green Hulk or an orange flame. So I personally run a reflex and in our glacier white color pretty much every single day. Interesting. Uh, yeah, the, my mind just got blown. I had no idea that there was that big of a weight difference in calls and wow. Yeah, yeah or colors. I mean, excuse absolutely. me. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So yeah, it's uh, you know, you probably have to have, um, you know, be around a lot of calls, blow on a lot of calls, maybe tune a lot of calls to start to really tell the difference. But um, it's definitely you know, day in and day out, uh, uh, that white is just gonna just going to have a little bit more thud to it, be a little bit more powerful, take a little bit more air just because of the density um, of the material that's in it. And that's a, that's a huge part of the tone that's in a goose call is, you know, obviously what material it's made out of and how much, uh, how much that material weighs and the, the, the molecular structure that makes up that material. Had no idea. Chandler, did you know anything like that, that color would make a difference? No, I didn't. If, I didn't. Yeah, if somebody would have <laughs> said, hey, guess what, you know, I'm going to pull the orange call out today because it sounds different than the white one, I would have said, you're crazy, man. But yeah. no. You know, they're going probably going to sound, you know, pretty, pretty similar, uh, you know, but uh, they're just going to feel just, just uh, you know, and if you had to use a 1 to 10 scale, probably a point or two difference, you know. So it's not like it's a – oh my gosh, this black ghost is going to be really, really light and easy to run. And this glacier white is going to be really, really heavy. You know, there's just a, just a tiny, you know, you can just feel it in there, you know, cause it's not like the difference is a pound or two in the calls, you know, these feel things just weigh a couple ounces, you know, but, uh, um, there's definitely a little bit of a uh, little bit of difference there that, uh, that you can definitely feel when you're, when you're running the call. All right. Let's see. So we've talked about acrylic calls. Now you do have Delrin call as well, correct? That's right. Yes. We make uh, the EX3 uh, in a Delrin, the Reflex in a Delrin, and the Rush in a Delrin. So I, I, there's, I'm sure there's people listening that don't know exactly what the difference between mm-hmm. acrylic and Delrin is. Could you explain that for us? Yep. Yeah, basically, I mean, the biggest, the difference is the material it's made out of. Um, Delrin is going to be, it's a very dense material. It's very, very heavy, uh, very, very durable. Um, um, So it's going to have a little bit different tone than an acrylic is. You know, the acrylic is going to be your high end, uh, you know, superior tone range, and, and the cost of acrylic is obviously quite a bit more than Delrin. You know, to uh, to get a stick of Delrin is not as expensive as acrylic is. So that's where you see the cost difference in a Delrin versus an, versus an acrylic. Um, now, what is going to be the tone difference uh, in the performance difference? The Delrin um, is going to be a little bit more dense sounding. It's a, it's a heavier material, so it's going to be a little bit more dense sounding. Um, so it's not going to have the range that an acrylic has. Um, if you took a one to 10 scale and let's say acrylic calls were 10 on the range scale, meaning how low can you go on that call and how high pitch you can go on that call, you know, acrylic is going to be the material where you can fluctuate all the way up and down that chart. So it'd give it a 10. A Delrin is going to be somewhere around like a 
six or a seven max. You know, because of the material it's made out of, it's not going to have the range that an acrylic has. You know, it doesn't have that as sharp a crack or um, that lowest low or the highest pitch high. It's going to sit somewhere in the middle there because of the material it's made out of. It's still a fantastic material. Very, very durable. All our Delrins are machined just like our acrylics are. Uh, they still go through the four-step uh, process. Uh, they're still tuned up with our same uh, Phantom Guts, which are worn-in guts. They still you know, are tuned the same uh, by me each day. It's just that the material is going to make up the difference, um, one, in the cost of it, and also, two, in the performance of it. Um, it's just not going to have the range like an acrylic has, but it's a super material uh, it's very, very dense, very easy running. It's got a good feeling to it, you know, because it's it's, it's a little bit softer than acrylic uh, as well. So that's primarily the difference between a Delrin call and an acrylic call is uh, the cost of the material, the cost of the work that goes into each call, and then obviously the range and the tone of it on the performance end. Yeah. You said something in there that, that more maybe more advanced guys know, but you talked about a broken guts. Um, you explain, explain a little bit about that. Someone who doesn't, might not understand that right at first. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when you take apart a goose call and I don't recommend taking them apart at all. Um, (laughs) but when you open one up and you look inside of it, you're going to notice, uh, the, the wedge, the tone board and the reed sticking out of the goose call. Now, a barrel is the part that you put your mouth on and, 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 and blow the air into the call. The insert is the part that you hold on to. So the part that you're holding on to when you take the call apart, you'll notice on the end of it or, you know, in the middle of the call, I guess, um, is going to be three parts sticking out. The wedge is on the top. Then there's going to be a reed. And then underneath that is a tone board. Okay. So when you add air into a goose call, what's happening is, is that little piece of mylar, which is the white reed, that's going to start vibrating 100 miles an hour, okay, to create the sound. And when when it vibrates, okay, it starts to wear on what is underneath that reed, which is a tone channel or a tone board, okay? Well, over time, the more you use that call and the more, uh, you know, you run that call and practice with it and go through hunting season, Because of that vibration, that up and down movement of that mylar reed, it starts to wear grooves in that tone board. And over time, what's happening is, is that tone board is becoming, quote unquote, wore in or broken. Okay. Um, And the reason why this is significant is, is that, you know, back in the day when they tuned up everything with just a fresh tone board and no grooves in it that have been worn in from the reed, the reed doesn't have very far to travel up and down. Okay. You might get, you know, two tenths of an inch or three tenths of an inch of travel out of that reed up and down. Then over time, as that wears in grooves into that tone board, that reed now is, 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 is flexing up and down, you know, could be a quarter of an inch or more where it's, where it's running up and down. So the more flex that you can get in that reed, the better tone you'll have, the more range you'll have, and the more power you'll have out of that goose call. So what we did with our Phantom Guts is, is that we took a set of guts that was mm, three years old, and we molded them. 
see, when you mold guts, you take away about, you know, 10% of that groove. So basically, theoretically, what we're looking at is a set of guts that is two and a half years old that is going into the goose call. We feel that a set of guts uh, perform the best between two and a half years old and about six years old. Uh, that is going to be the classic, you know, if you blow a goose call a lot, that's kind of the the peak performance of a set of guts. So we took that two and a half year old set of guts and uh, molded those. And so right away you're getting a goose call that has, you know, superior tone as far as the read travel on it, capabilities, deepness, range, and whatnot. So that's kind of the, the background and how you get a set of guts broken in and what happens and, and, and pretty much why you, why you put them in to a, a brand new call. Yeah. I yeah, I guess I didn't realize that if if you've got a brand new call, that a lot of times it takes two years to break it in. I guess I've never really, mm-hmm. and that's probably using the call a lot. Yeah, yeah, they take a while to break in. So, yep. So we took that set that was about three years old, and then um, you know molded it. So theoretically, you know, you lose about ten percent in that molding process as far as the tone channel depth. Um, so you have about a set of guts that uh, is about two and a half years old, which is just right where you want it and right starting at the peak of, uh, you know, the performance of that, uh, of that set of guts anyway. So. Yeah. Now, I, I know with duck calls, uh, you know, I'll start a season with one and I always think it sounds a little bit more seasoned by the end of the, you know, end of the year, but um, yeah, two years. I mean, that's a lot of time, but of course that's, I mean, that's what it is. That's you, you, you spend time with a call, you become, fond of it mm-hmm. um it's a kind yeah, of good absolutely. relationship you start developing with the call and you get that trusty favorite that <laughs> yeah. is your go-to absolutely absolutely get a little donut stuck in there a little coffee in it yeah. you know it becomes time tested over time so yeah. absolutely speaking of which um you were talking about you don't recommend pulling goose calls apart and fiddling with them what about cleaning talking about you know uh, coffee and donut you know if it gets down in there what do you recommend you know what? I, I'm looking at my reflex right now. Um, the reflex, when we switched the engraving on them for this year, obviously my old reflex uh, was, you know, four or five years old or whatever it was. And I never cleaned it once, not even like take it apart, anything like that. You know, you don't really have to. I mean, it's going to take a lot to get something wedged into a goose call and for it not to operate. They're a little less finicky than a duck call. You know, uh, it's not going to be like saliva or anything like that, but you know, if you do want to clean the goose call, take the call apart from the barrel of the insert, uh, just wipe out the barrel on the inside, inside run water, uh, or just, you know, blow air in over the reeds of the of the gut system and then just use your finger to wipe out the back and that's all i recommend you don't have to take the call apart as far as the gut system uh anything like that you know the 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 reed um the reed and the guts that are in my reflex uh have been the same for well this will be the sixth season of it now uh when we came out with the prototypes and whatnot so you know a reed and uh a set of guts, you know, they'll last you a long time, and I haven't retuned it in uh, in six years. It's still never even really taken apart, you know. So you don't have to, you know, clean or do much to them. Uh, but if you want to, just wipe out the inside, 
but don't don't pull out the guts or the wedge or the reed or anything like that. And uh, you can just run water down through them and kind of wipe out the back. But um, necessarily, you know, you don't really have to do that either. Uh, they they're they're pretty tough. Gotcha. So you said you had your goose call next to you. Mine personally is set up to make about uh, you know four or five different notes, really. But it's set up to make them as loud and as powerful and deep and nasty as, uh, as I can get them just because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's about the timing and about those couple notes, uh, that trigger geese every single day. So yeah, it's, uh, and those guts are pretty worn in too. So <laughs> it makes it a little bit heavy, you know, and, uh, and, you know, like we talked about the longer the guts run, you know, the just bigger and meaner and nastier it's going to sound. Yeah. Yeah. Timing is by far my, what I really, really, um, rely on as far as goose calling. Um, I'm sure. not, I'm not the fastest, but I, I love, I gotta, I love watching them and I feel like I've been successful by paying attention to what they're going to do. And you just kind of guessing and watching their heads and, and watching what their, what their wings are doing as far as what they're, sure. what they're thinking. And I'm able to, if you can figure that stuff out, you're able to manipulate and get these birds to, to commit to your spread a lot more often. And besides maybe either, overblowing blowing them out or maybe not blowing enough mm-hmm. and not keeping them interested you know there's always every day is a little bit different and you never know if a goose wants you to just get them all you know blow it all the way in until he puts his feet on the ground or if you need to to get him to kind of cup up and look and then shut up you know and just maybe get Absolutely. them interested every once in a while watching these geese you know really learning how to do that's my favorite thing i'll sit there and do that and let them land and let them get up you know it's, and i'll still have a great day if i didn't even bring a gun because this is fun to sure it's fun to do that absolutely absolutely and that's the case for any uh you know hunting you do whether it's uh you know, waterfall or whitetail or whatever you're hunting is just your awareness of your surroundings, you know, pay attention to, you know, what you're seeing, how the birds are reacting, the sounds they're making, pay attention to the weather, how it affects them, their change. Um, just, just, I think having an open mind and, uh, really paying attention to what is affecting them, um, based on the weather and hunting and the sounds and the decoy spreads, um, that's, that's the key, I think, to, to getting better over a long period of time for sure. So, so, uh, let me ask you this. You don't have to give any secrets out, but what's like your, let's say your, your favorite amount of decoys or your favorite style of hunting and maybe, mm-hmm. you know, favorite place, field, water, different types of fields. What, what do you have that you're working with up there? That is like your, your favorite way to do things. And you don't have to give any secrets out, but. Um, no, no, no. I tell you what, I've been uh, fortunate enough to travel, um, you know, a lot of different places to hunt, uh, waterfall in particular, uh, Canada geese and in particular, big Canada geese, um, you know, right here in Rochester with the history, uh, I shot my first goose here, uh, started guiding here when I was 14. Uh, this is where we, you know, live and work now. So my favorite place to hunt is obviously at home here and the hunting is good. Uh, it's definitely changed over the last, uh, you know, 10 years with the shutdown of Silver Lake, which is a coal burning plate, uh, coal burning plant that discharges the water back into, uh, Silver Lake to kept it open. They, they shut that down, but favorite place to hunt is Rochester. Favorite style of hunting is definitely traffic hunting, uh, refuges. 
Rochester has a 66 and a quarter square mile refuge. Um, and our fields are located around the refuge line here. Um, I've hunted Rochester, oh boy, 25 years. Uh, and I can probably count on two hands uh, how many times I've hunted the X, which means <laughs> fields that they're feeding in, you know, it's all, it's all traffic hunting. So, uh, you know, my bread and butter is, uh, is traffic hunting in particular around refuges. Uh, I love migrator hunting as well. Um, and I love hunting Manitoba, but, uh, I would say right around Rochester traffic. And, you know, I don't, I think the key to any success for, or, 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 you know, a little nugget of information is how do you change? each and every day to hunt the same birds that you hunted yesterday, last week, two weeks ago. You know, you'll hear the term, man, we need new birds. Our birds are stale. Well, chances are you're hunting and the way you hunt is pretty stale. Um, so constantly changing it up. You know, I've been fortunate enough over 25 years to collect a lot of different decoys, never sold one, uh, still have the same 2,500, 3,000 black and white shadows we made back in the day. Still have the 747 shells that you can hide an eight-year-old or under. Uh, I've got Dave Smith decoys, Bigfoot, uh, Final Approach, DOAs, Dakotas, uh, Big Al's. Um, you know, just a ton of different arsenal to throw at these birds. You know, some people will, you know, just want the most realistic, highest uh, looking thing for each day, you know, uh, when that may be not the case, if you're hunting traffic, you know, you want to stick out more and that black color sticks out more. If you're on the X, you want to use something a little more realistic because it's more about finishing. So any kind of little, uh, I guess it wouldn't be a secret or anything like that is, is to constantly show those birds something new, whether it's the location where you're hunting them in the field, how you're hunting them, uh, when you hunt them, uh, and constantly watching that weather. Cause, uh, you know, grow, you know, hunting around Rochester, uh, you know, it's not fun. Uh, it's, 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 it's really, really tough. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of hunters. Uh, our geese get here, you know, like I said, probably here in the, in the next week and we'll still be hunting them, you know, uh, mid December. Uh, the birds that are here now, we'll be hunting them the rest of the year. Um, so the constant change, is uh primarily what you're looking for and us here too in our fields is we hunt out of pits uh which is great for location but tough to change up as far as location in the field so the look of your decoys uh the different brands the different styles the look of your decoy spread the calling um you know and whatnot so that's probably the biggest thing is uh I love hunting, tra uh, trafficking refuge birds and, uh, switching it up, uh, day in and day out is probably, probably my bread and butter. That's what I like to do the most. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot, well, we see a lot of guys, uh, they want to, their decoys their goose decoys. They want to all have the same brand and, you know, mm -hmm. and that's not the case for you. You sound like you have about everything under the, that's been out on the market at one point or time. I got everything, man. I got everything. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like fishing lures. You know, uh, you can't throw the same black and blue spinnerbait every single day of the year and expect the same results every single day of the year. Uh, um, you know, you need to keep switching it up. So, like I said, I've amassed a, a lot of grain bins full of decoys. Um, and, uh, you know, fortunate enough that you have them at your disposal. But uh, don't be afraid to go out there and just, you know, collect different decoys. Uh, and we use different brands within the hunt. Uh, 
every single day um, and different styles. We'll mix in shadows and full bodies and shells and sleepers and, uh, and you name it. So it's, 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 it's half part realism, half part looking different from the next guy. So it's, uh, that's what we find is the key up here. Yeah. So I, I, and a lot of places. Yeah. I feel like then blowing a goose call running traffic is, is pretty important. I mean, cause. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it's mind boggling, uh, to think, you know, when you have, uh, you know, I remember there was a couple, a hundred, a couple years ago, you know, we had 2000 full bodies out and we had five callers in a pit and that amassed, uh, I suppose 140 calling titles. And we were calling as hard as we can to the point where we had headaches just to get singles and doubles to break off. So, you know, it, it, you don't really, you know, you kind of feel sorry for the next guy that's just trying to out there to enjoy a Saturday afternoon by himself, you know, but doesn't have much of a chance when we're, you know, have to go through this amount of effort, just uh, just put a couple of birds in the decoys or whatnot. But calling is single-handedly the, the X factor in today's hunting. You know, a lot of people have a lot of decoys, a lot of people, and especially now with social media, um, in the networking connections, you know, you watch around social media and the hunts anymore aren't a couple guys out hunting. There's a lot of guys out hunting in a particular field. You know, it might be seven, 10, 13 guys out hunting and all those guys bring their decoys together. You know, if, if 15 years ago, the average spread was 120. Now the average spread is three or 400. You know, and uh, and the calling too. A lot of these guys are getting better at calling, and that's single-handedly. Um, you know, you can you can pay for a really good spot to hunt. You can pay to have a lot of decoys. Uh, you can pay for a pit to have good concealment, but you can't pay for calling. You know, that is one thing that you got to put your your time and your practice and your energy into is is to become better on a goose call because you know, uh, uh, we see it up here all through the Midwest, you know, just the location and decoys is not enough anymore. You got to really be able to blow a goose call. Uh, it can change a, a bad hunt into an okay hunt an okay hunt into a good one and a good one into a great one in a hurry. So that's probably the single most important factor that we see day in and day out is to be able to blow a goose call and, uh, and command geese to do, make them do something that they weren't planning on doing that day. Yeah. I I think it's crazy that you, that you were talking about how many decoys you had and how many guys you had and calling titles and that it, it was that difficult to pull in birds sometimes. I I mean, you put me in an environment mm-hmm. like that, I I wouldn't hold a prayer. I'd be eating snacks and drinking coffee all day. That's about <laughs> it, it sounds like. It, it, it's a, it's a, it's a tough place to hunt up here. Uh like I said, uh you know, I mean, any place can be tough, right? It's, uh, you know, the, the old adage back in the day was the further south a bird gets, the tougher they become. That's not the truth. Some of the tougher birds I've hunted have been Canada. It's, it's, it's how long a goose or a duck stays in an area. That's when they become tough. You know, if I were to drive down to Kansas City tonight and meet up with you guys, I'd need directions how to get there. I'd need to know where the best places to eat are, where the place to stay is. That's just like new geese coming into an area. Now, the longer I'm in Kansas City, I've learned where the good areas are, the bad areas, uh, and whatnot. So when birds become really tough is when they've spent a long time in a certain area. 
They know the safe spots. They know the safe fields. They know the flight paths that are safe. They know how you hunt them. They've become a condition to the way you hunt them. So anytime you start dealing with a goose or a duck that's been in an area for more than 10 days, they start to become tough. Now you start to deal with a ton of residents like we got here in Minnesota, early migrators with the molt migrators, and those new birds come in, they look to those residents. Um, you know, so any place can be tough, but, uh, uh, you know, I've traveled to a lot of places and, uh, um, man, I don't, I don't know if I've seen one, uh, tougher than our backyard right here. So it's, uh, but any place can be that way as long as, as long as they spend enough time in an area. Yeah. And I can see exactly what you were talking about earlier. This just brings the, the back to point that you were talking about people complaining about stale birds. Well, it could be their hunting style is stale, and you start hitting a week or 10 days, exactly. Start switching the way you're doing things, they, how you're, how you're putting seen, stuff they've out. Seen your, they've seen your blind and decoys. It's not the way you hunt when times get tough. <laughs> you know, It's the way you hunt when times are good. Um, because that's when you're putting the pressure on the birds. That's when they're becoming conditioned to the way you hunt them and how you see them. You know, if you get a huge influx of new birds into town, uh, you know, we'll run, you know, 200, 250 decoys. You know, we're around a refuge. These birds are used to sitting with a lot of geese and feeding with a lot of geese. So you can't go out there with, you know, 10 decoys and expect them to get excited over that. You know, you need some numbers. You need some calling, and then we'll gradually, you know, we'll put out a very basic decoy spread, almost like the old mom-and-pop U-shaped spread, and then we'll start to build up our numbers, change up the decoy spread, change up our calling, you know, and whatnot as they become tougher because we got to hunt these fields every single day on the same geese that are coming out. You know, we might have, you know, 30, 40, 45,000 geese in town, but there's only four or 5,000 of them that are leaving a certain direction. So if you hunt that field for five, six days in a row straight, you're hunting those same three, four, five thousand geese that are flying over that field straight. Well, after a day and a half is when they start to really start to figure it out a little bit, and uh, it can get about tougher for a lot of guys. But uh, yeah, it's it's how you hunt when times are good, uh, and not showing them, trying not to show them everything, and getting away with what you can get away with, and. Um, you know, hunting stale is, I think if a lot of guys would ask themselves that, you know, how many times did you, did you, you know, hunt on an edge versus the middle or use less decoys than you actually have in the trailer and change up your calling and the flagging, you know, a lot of guys will do the same thing day in and day out until it works again. You know, anything in waterfall hunting will work once every two weeks, no matter what you do once every two weeks, you're going to have a pretty good hunt. Well, we get reminded that that's the way we should do it. And then the next day, you know, not so good. Next day, we go through about a five, six-week drought. We need new birds. And then, boom, what we've been doing works again because it's going to work once every two weeks. And then we're reassured that's how you should do it every single day. So the biggest thing you can uh, be a victim of is repetition and uh, constantly changing that up and watching how you're hunting based, based on the arrival of new birds and how long they've been there is probably a probably going to help out the most i would think yeah that's 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 interesting to think about yeah uh, yeah 100 percent um let's see we're looking like we're about 57 minutes uh chandler do you have anything any final questions any final thoughts any i just um scott i really enjoyed like some of your views on stuff on on the goose society or the duck society or the bad grammars and 
Um, I definitely think if anybody listening to this wants to get more than what we've talked about here, they need to go check some of that stuff out. Uh, the academy that you got going on, um, is that, did you say you like, you had a certain amount of spots when that first came out or was that like a promotion deal? Cause it looked like you like, um, that was, uh, you know, we didn't, I think they, uh, we did an email sign up, uh, before it went live. And then like the first 250, the next 250, uh, the first thousand, um, whatnot got into, you know, some drawings and we'll, we'll continue to, uh, you know, do those, but, uh, you can visit just www.badgrammaracademy.com. And that has all the, the information there on that. And, uh, it's just a great way to, uh, you know, to accommodate the busy lifestyle and being able to practice, uh, you know, wherever you are and when, when you find time. Yeah. And if, if you guys out there listening that want to get into goose calling and the short read and you want to get to be able to blow some of these notes to hear these guys, uh, comp callers or, or good hunters call. I mean, these molt gears are, um, a great call to learn on and they can do all these things you want to do as far as the, the notes and stuff. They're, they're definitely a really, really well-built call. And, uh, we see customers just by being in the store who pick them up and they really enjoy them. Um, and we, and we sell a, a ton of them and, uh, I mean, yeah, definitely check them out on our website. This is a great call. Great product. Mm-hmm. Lots to choose from color combos and three different styles. And yeah, absolutely. I, I guess my final thought or my final takeaway for the day would be something that you mentioned earlier, Scott, that it, it's really got me thinking is complaining about, is it the birds that are stale or is it me? You know, really? Because 100% of the time, you always complain about it, and yet you are doing the same thing every day, but you expect different results, and that's just, yeah, maybe we're the ones that are stale. Yeah, it's funny you, <laughs> funny you say that. Don't be t- afraid to try something new, you know? It, yeah. Uh, uh, it could never hurt, you know? And the bottom line is you're out hunting, you're having fun, and, uh, you know, if you shoot a few uh, by trying something new, great. If you don't, heck, still beats a good day at work, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, everybody across uh, across the U.S. should start to see new birds move into their area. Um, there's going to be a pretty big front that's going to blow uh, blow in, and there is uh, there is a massive amount of waterfall um, just across the border on the Highway One uh, corridor through Canada, um, and you're going to get a you're going to get a freeze line wave that's going to come in. Uh, it's going to push a lot of ducks. Uh, going to push a lot of snow geese and specks. Um, the Canada's will start to move, especially the big ones. The little ones will roll, but uh, um, it should be a pretty good one. And it was a substantial one because 10 days after that, it just gets a little bit nastier, a little bit colder each day. You're going to get some snowstorms up through the Midwest in various areas. So start looking uh, north into the skies because there's going to be a lot of birds on the move. I can't think of anything else. Um, Chandler, you got anything else? No. Um, all right that's a wrap 